Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. Welcome in San Diego, it's Jade Hindman. The numbers are surprising. 44% of men say they've had thoughts of suicide in a recent survey. Today we're going to unpack why and discuss the barriers to men's mental health care. This is Midday Edition, connecting our communities through conversation. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. Earlier this year, the U.S. Surgeon General released an advisory of an epidemic of loneliness and isolation. One group that has been particularly impacted is men. With the suicide rate four times that of women, men can have difficulty finding and maintaining friendships. Recently, men's support groups have grown in popularity as a way for men to find connections, as well as an outlet to challenge outdated views of masculinity. Dan Singley is a San Diego psychologist from the Center for Men's Excellence. Dr. Singley, welcome to Midday Edition. Thanks very much. So what specific challenges do you see men face when it comes to mental health? In many ways, the the kinds of challenges that, that men experience generalize to people of all genders. A lot of it has to do with how men themselves are socialized and how all of us are socialized to think about men um, and, and some really common issues that we'll see that we'll see sort of gender specific uh, manifestations include uh, what we call so-called masked male depression, which is a way that men will often manifest depression instead of thinking, you know, they can't get out of bed, they're actively suicidal, they're sort of in the corner weeping. It oftentimes presents more as a kind of anger or irritability being more withdrawn, which is different than not being around people. It's more like you can be around people, but but not engaging with them. Men will oftentimes somaticize, meaning taking a psychological concern like depression or anxiety, because that's stigmatized instead of manifesting it that way. It'll be, 
well, I have migraines or I have muscle tension or, or gastrointestinal difficulties. Um, and then the fourth way that commonly men will manifest depression is an increase in, in well, we usually talk about drinking or drugs, but it's really kind of any dopaminergic activity, gaming, risky sex, kind of whatever gets your cerebral joy juice flowing. Um, so depression is one. Another key way that depression will show up in a way that can be representative for men is a tendency to be withdrawn and not necessarily just are never around people, but you're around people, but just not engaging. And from a lifespan development perspective, there is a tendency for men to be less and less engaged in close, say, friendships or even with, with trusted colleagues as they move through their lives and, and tend to try to get our emotional needs met, our, most of our support from a romantic partner if we have one. Hmm. What do you think needs to be done or how can you sort of break through to men to make mental health care less stigmatizing? The first is don't shame these guys uh, for having difficulties and, and don't minimize or trivialize. Hey, buck up, you know, soldier on, cowboy up. A lot of times that's well-intentioned, but it really greatly minimizes the distress. Like the guy thought about just moving on. And one of the common ways that, that men will try to manage mental health issues is by stuffing it, right? It is what it is. I let it roll off my back. I sort of stuff it. And that can work in the short term, but it, but it builds up. And so meeting men where they're at involves making it okay for them to feel the way and to be having the difficulties that, that they do. And that doesn't necessarily mean squeezing emotion words out of men. Like that's one of the when you see things about psychotherapy and in TV and the movies, it's always these like intense, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. And, you know, tearjerker and, and light bulb moment. And sometimes that happens in psychotherapy, but a lot of times it just takes more sort of building trust and, and normalizing the process and using the same kind of words that men do. And so a lot of times we'll talk in metaphor. So instead of, I feel uh, vulnerable or I'm taking a risk, I'll say something like, hey, um, I'm kind of out on a limb here. Or instead of saying, you're rejecting me and that's upsetting to me, I might say, hey, you're taking a bunch of shots at me and that sucks or something. And so that's another really important element of doing this kind of work with men. Um, and from a policy perspective, bigger bigger picture, I think it's it's key that we start actually addressing men's issues and men's mental health as its own discrete area that, that, that merits a look at resources and policy and within that things like paternal family leave when, when dads have kids and I could go on, but there are a lot of these ways that I think we can normalize the fact that men struggle and kind of pull some of the stigma out of it. How much do you think society's definition of masculinity is, is a barrier, and how do you actually define masculinity? So I think society and how we train men and people to think about men and masculinity has a huge impact. So this is a pretty hot topic these days, and, and people find it to be somewhat controversial, and I understand that. To me, it's a totally uncontroversial statement that men struggle and, and, and need support when, when they do. When I think about what masculinity means, it is, it's enacting a gender role, right? 
Um, but again, so for me as a psychologist and, and as a practitioner, as a, as a researcher and a scholar, I kind of go pretty deep on this topic. And so technically in, in the academic area, we don't talk about masculinity as this one monolithic aspect of identity. We talk about masculinities as a nod to we enact different parts of ourself and our gender in different ways. Like I'm doing an interview with right now and I'm in professional Dan Singley mode. I enact different parts of, of myself and my masculinity when I'm with my poker buddies or with a patient or with my wife um, or my surfing buddies, for example. But for me, healthy masculinity is about flexibility and balance, right? Like I present and do a lot of training on this. And if I do like a word association, when I say masculinity, what's the first thing that comes up? And it's usually toxic, right? which is very unfortunate um, because masculinity does not equal toxic masculinity, but health and balance in, in a sense of masculinity means I can be a guy guy and enact some of those more traditional masculine aspects in some contexts. Like I may be an entrepreneur who has to take really calculated risks, or I may have a, a job that involves being very aggressive in certain ways. Like I may be a boxer or a drill sergeant or, or whatever. The problem is if I take that kind of being a guy and I am rigidly only that, and then I turn around and go to friends or a partner or kids, and I'm all about, you know, rugged individualism and aggressive and um, being, you know, more sort of pushy or, or um, it's all about success and competition, right? And so a healthy way of, of showing up in masculinity means I can be that traditional guy guy and depending on what the situation calls for, I can also show empathy, compassion. I can be a good team player. I can accept influence from somebody else. And this isn't just me talking. I mean, the ability to have that, that more sort of balanced, flexible approach helps work against the very well-validated mortality finding that men tend to die six to seven years younger than women do. And we get divorces and we get more depression. And being able to have more flexibility and not just, I got to be the Marlboro man in, in every situation helps us to live longer, happier, more fruitful lives. You know, once men come to terms with the fact that they may need help uh, in the area of mental health, how does treatment work? And do you find that men are open to treatment or more resistant? So certainly this is this is a cultural, different cultural groups respond to this differently and, and, and stigma works differently. What I will say is that as time goes on, generationally, you know, the greatest generation at this point is much more open to mental health than previous were. And certainly, you know, Gen Z's, millennials um, are have much, much more of a sense of, well, this is like physical health. Um, that being said, there is, of course, stigma that's alive and well out there about mental health and people practice differently, right? If you're working with a psychiatrist, you're more likely to be talking about medications, or you may talk to one therapist who has a kind of non-directive supportive style where it's like talking to your cool uncle or something. Uh, for us at the Center for Men's Excellence, we're about the application of science and, and well-validated evidence-based approaches. And so when somebody comes to work with one of our practitioners, it's going to look like pretty soon in the process, getting a clear diagnostic picture, which maps onto an understanding of areas of difficulty, areas of strength that we can leverage in the process um, that then sets the stage for 
a treatment plan. And the treatment plan consists of concrete goals. We're gonna have you do this, and we're gonna have you do this. That's gonna involve this resource or this conversation and giving you the tools to ultimately better manage your issues and thrive in life and do it yourself, ultimately. That's, that's very much what, what our approach is. Equimundo is a research center focused on masculinity. In their recent State of American Men report, uh, they cite a statistic that 40% of men show symptoms of depression, and, and some 44% of all men had thoughts of suicide in the past two weeks. Those are, are startling statistics. Uh, what do you think needs to be done to improve the mental health of men today? First is to allow men to be more multidimensional, nuanced people more broadly. Like if if our whole version of what a man should be is protect, provide, sacrifice, I'm going to go back to what I said before. That is noble. I, I agree with these aspects of being a man, of being a person. However, a more fully functioning and healthier man will also be able to get his head around and then feel the importance of other people protecting him, providing for him, and making sacrifices for him. And I'm, I'm familiar with that survey that Equimundo did and, and their uh, report I found to be really compelling. Passive suicidal thinking is way more common than people understand. And it, it really doesn't necessarily mean the person is headed down the path of killing themselves. It usually means the person has been in pain for a long time. The steps they've taken to try to manage it have not resolved it in a meaningful way. And so thinking about just not existing or not waking up the next day is really just the mind's way of coping with, I feel kind of helpless and, and hopeless about this. It's, that statistic was not surprising to me at all because my you know clinicians and I are, are talking to these guys every day. Yeah. What are some of the stressors men are dealing with? So we're at a, at a unique period in time right now, right? So in, in the wake of the 2008 economic crash, a lot of men lost their jobs and there's a certain subset of men, oftentimes that we're working in the so-called brawny professions who have never really been able to get back on their feet economically and in many ways feel left behind. And, and some of the stressors of, of COVID and now, you know, largely post-pandemic have taken some of the shifts that were happening in terms of changes in, in gender expectations. And for some of these guys, it's been welcome and, and hallelujah. And for others, it's sort of been wind in the sails of further muddying the water of what it means to be a man. And so I hear from folks all the time, like, uh, man, it would be great if we could go back to, uh, you know, a simpler time when men were men and, and gender roles were clear. And I understand that to an extent. However, that's also another way of saying, man, wouldn't it be great if we could just, you know, keep men one up and other genders having to be in a one down position. And, and clearly what we're moving toward is a, a bit more of an egalitarian perspective. We're not trying to paint a picture of an equal playing field here, um, but men are much more engaged in domestic care, child care, you know, cooking, um, and are slowly starting to get more engaged in the so-called pink collar professions, like psychology, for example, like 
nursing, like teaching and so forth. However, we as a society haven't really accorded as much respect for men in traditionally female positions as a result of the, you know, feminists and women's liberations movement in Title IX, you know, going back to the 60s, as we have for women that are moving into more traditionally male-dominated or, or masculine spaces. So we still say things like male nurse or the, the dad that stays home to raise his kids. It's like, why are you doing that? Or you couldn't get a job, that sort of thing. And, and these are real sources of stress for men, you know, among others. So what can we do to help men? <laughs> Is that, that's a broad one, right? I <laughs> know. Yeah, it's a great question. It's, I want to go back to allowing men to be balanced and in, encouraging boys and teens and men to understand that when they struggle, it's okay. In some ways, like from a psychological perspective, when you when you do work in, in masculinities and, and men's issues, you come to really understand the centrality of vulnerability and shame in and how it it shapes men and boys and our our lives. And it's not just us that do the gender policing. It's everybody and TV and films and, and social media and so forth. And. It, it really, if I could get my wish list, it would be that we normalize compassion for, from, and and from within boys and men. And that's a that's a tall order, but you asked a big question, so that's my big answer. Coming up, how a narrow perception of what masculinity is stands in the way of some men getting the mental health care they need. Vulnerability and shame are such an important engine in masculinity in what we do and what we don't do. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Jade Hindman. I'm speaking with psychologist Dan Singley about the mental health of men and the rise of men's groups. So, Dr. Singley, we've seen a rise in men's groups. Can you explain what those consist of and why you see a need for them in your practice? Yes. So, in many ways, men were socialized to have more and more superficial 
relationships, right? There are all kinds of exceptions to this, but generally speaking, that's that's the first offer. And in individual work with a therapist, there is a tendency to think, well, yeah, like, you know, he's he I'm able to do this stuff with him, but that's only because he's got the the, the training or the degrees or the initial. Um, and in in men's groups, in our men's groups at the at the Center for Men's Excellence, they're interpersonal process groups. And what that means is it's kind of like a social laboratory where we have confidentiality and I'll bring together groups of guys. So really commonly, um, the guys in our men's process groups are high functioning professional guys that have some flavor of anxiety or or depression or or phase of life issues, um, but struggle with developing new relationships and or deepening existing ones. And in a group format, I can tell you, for me, doing men's groups is the jewel of my practice. I I love it. I see so much movement in these guys um, because you can't just write off another group member as, well, he's just a shrink because they're not. And you see these guys start to have more awareness of, well, wait, here's something that's going on with me. Or wait, when I said that, you reacted in a different way. And they they... they get much more depth and insight about themselves as relational beings and then take it from that social laboratory out into their lives to practice it with partners, with kids, with friends. And I just see that happening more quickly, more naturally with these guys that get involved in men's groups. And one of the big issues I see men struggling with today, I mean, the the United States Surgeon General released an entire report this year about the epidemic of loneliness and men struggle hugely with this. Men's groups really help these guys to go out and take some of these risks to develop new and, and to deepen existing relationships. It's super gratifying. And when you talk about loneliness, is there any particular age group or generation that's mainly impacted by that? Yes. So it tends to be an inflection point. Not everybody has has children, right? So, but I'm I'm using that as kind of a lifespan development milestone. Right around typical um uh having children age. So think about like, you know, mid mid-30s or so is when statistically men's relationships with people other than a romantic partner tend to fall off slowly, but but precipitously. And so a lot of, you know, these, these men who are in their 50s and 60s are really isolated, even if they're around people a lot, but they're not experiencing emotional intimacy or connection, or this is one I see all the time, guys trying to get all of their support needs, all of their emotional intimacy, all of their connection needs met by one person, oftentimes a romantic partner, oftentimes obviously in heterosexual couples uh, in their in their wives or girlfriends. And it doesn't matter how great your partner is, no one person can meet all of our support needs. And so I talk a lot with these guys about you got to diversify your social support portfolio. You know, you got to have two, three friends over here and cool, you have a romantic partner and you got some trusted colleagues or maybe you're a member of a religious community. And so you take part in like a men's Bible study group or, or whatever the thing is, but do not make the mistake of trying to get all of your support needs met by one person because it will backfire. And oftentimes 
psychologically, the guy starts to resent his partner for not being enough without realizing he's the one that's making the mistake. And so, you know, it's like, I hear what you're saying. It's almost like you're saying to go and make friends. <laughs> but for many people, that's easier said than done, right? I can't tell you how many patients I've shown the SNL skit about like the guy park, you know, where they like <laughs> riff on the whole like dog park, except it's like, you know, girlfriends taking their guy to the park and 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 just kind of putting them together. What? You like sports? I like sports. And, and all of a sudden they're talking like <laughs> it's such a thing, you know? Yes. Yes, indeed. I mean, any advice for how to make that effort easier? <sighs> Go slowly. Right. And, and so the, the advice sounds different for partners than it does for the guys themselves. For the partners, I mean, the, the old trope of like the guy has this nagging partner that doesn't want him to do anything but stay home and hit off the honey do list. That is very much the exception to what I'm seeing these days. More, much more often these days, I see these partners that are like, dude, go play golf, go surf, go have coffee with your friends, like, like that's becoming much, much more the standard. Um, and so for the partners, it's like, Hey, you're right. <laughs> and understand that when men bro date and, and try to reach out and connect in particular with other men, we are running the risk of rejection and that's not rocket science, but go back to what I said before. Vulnerability and shame are such an important engine in masculinity in what we do and what we don't do that the advice for the guys is do it, like go out there and you don't have to start from scratch. You probably already have some other people in your life that you think are kind of cool on your kid's soccer team or at work or again in a religious community or, or whatever, but Start slowly. And the way I, again, I try to get pretty like concrete about, I, I encourage guys to think about three aspects of communication when you're thinking about connecting more fully. There's the frequency of the communication, there's the medium of the communication, and then there's the content. Pick one of those. If you, if you text the guy once a month, change only that. Text him twice a month and then see what he does. Or not. Or you can, you know, go for the content. Um, if you see the person like once a week or so, keep the frequency and the medium the same, but then talk about something that's maybe a little bit more in depth. And, and I always tell guys like the lowest hanging fruit here is you can talk about, I've got work-life stress. And it's the lowest hanging fruit because you're straight in there in terms of typical expectations for guys, right? Oh, I, I, you know, I have life. I'm really into that. I've got my, my work. I'm really focused on that. And it's hard to make it all fit. And like, er, you know, sometimes that's tough. Like you're not really taking much of a, of a risk in doing that, but these are some ways that will, that will encourage men to take slow, steady steps. You take the step. How does the other person respond? Was it positive, negative, or neutral? If it was positive, keep going. If it was neutral, eh, take a look at it. Like these are, these are some of those like concrete steps and in, in ways that will tend to work with guys around this. So how can the people or person in a man's life um, support their efforts or their need to build friendships and deepen others? Usually it's by modeling the behavior you want the other person to do. 
So, so here's the frame. I, I get lots of calls from partners that want to say, you know, my husband is just not, you know, doing X. And I'm like, do you do X? No, no, no. I, I want my husband to get therapy. I'm like, okay, but are you willing to get therapy? I'm not the one with the problem. I'm like, okay, but if you model the behavior that you want him to engage in, now you have a much better standpoint to say, I know what I'm talking about. I'm doing this thing. I'm normalizing this thing. And, and so if it's for the dads, for example, it's like, hey, man, go make some dad friends. Well, how would I do that? Where would I meet them? And, you know, you can help with that. But you can also normalize and validate that it's a slow process. It's important. But, you know, just keep up the, the expectation that it's so while also doing it yourself. You cannot give someone motivation that they just don't have. And so hassling or threatening or uh, making ultimatums is not the way to go. But it is okay to say like, you know, hey, babe, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of worried about you. Like, you seem like you don't really have folks that you're relying on or talking with. They don't have to go have some big emotional vomiting session. It can be, hey, you're not really getting out to see people. So why don't you go play golf with someone? Hmm? And, and maybe even kind of like facilitate that happening. All right. So Dr. Singley, are there any final thoughts or resources you want to throw out there before we go? Well, naturally, uh, if you go to our website, www.menexcel.com, we've got uh, resources, we've got information, we've got recordings. More than anything, I, I just, I think it's huge and important that you're asking this question and that you're drawing attention to men's mental health is its own thing. Because that, that's actually fairly controversial in some quarters, because why should we be focusing on men? Men have it so good. And yeah, and, and that is accurate in some ways, but in others, we struggle. And so I, I just really appreciate you having the conversation and, and having me on. I've been speaking with psychologist Dan Singley of the Center for Men's Excellence. And Dr. Singley, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you. If you are experiencing a mental or behavioral health emergency, the number to call for help is 988. How have freeways impacted your neighborhood? Give us a call, 619-452-0228. You can leave a message or you can email us at midday at kpbs.org. We'd love to share your experiences here on the show. Don't forget to watch Evening Edition tonight at 5 for in-depth reporting on San Diego issues. We'll be back tomorrow at noon. And if you ever miss a show, you can find Midday Edition on your favorite podcast app. I'm Jade Hindman. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com.